Praise God that he has entered into our world through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, and thank you again, praise team, and uh, listening to and watching the praise team lead us this morning um, gives me another uh, another reason to praise him. Um, with Dave Murray out um, for a short time, who's our normal drummer, uh, William, uh, my son, was able to move over to drums from electric guitar, and I was just thinking, he's healed well enough from that auto accident uh, to be able to drum, and I praise God for that, but also, I praise God for the accident itself, not just for his deliverance of William through it, but I praise him for the, the accident itself, because with William out of commission for those weeks that he was out, John Kozad decided to um, up his game and uh, move from just acoustic to also learn to play electric. And so John was able to fill in for William, who was filling in for Dave, and that took place because of the car wreck that the Lord delivered William through. And so, again, I just praise God. And there's more, there's more great stuff happening in that. We don't know all about it. And as, as Dan was mentioning, um, even praising God for somebody stealing from us. We don't know the end of that story yet. But we're going to be the church that's going to pray for whoever that was. That, that he won't let them rest. That he won't let them enjoy that money because they'll know who they stole it from. And that they'll, re- and that they'll remember that that's what a thief is, is a, is a, is a stealer from God. And so we won't stop praying. We'll pray for them. We're going to pray that the cops catch them and help be a part of that convicting process. But we're going to pray for them um, because that's even more important than the money they stole because they're valuable creations of God. So let's pause right now and let's pray specifically for whoever that was or they were that did that. Heavenly Father, uh, we don't like it when somebody does something bad against us and we know that when it's against us it's also against you and as Dan mentioned it made him mad but it also filled him with compassion and so we pray for them how messed up their lives must be that they would do that and we know the one who can work on messed up lives because you've worked on us You're still working on us because our lives are still messed up. And so as we live and glory in your grace, we pray that you would draw that person or those people to faith in Jesus also. That they can also experience your grace, not just in a one moment, but also for a lifetime. That they could start, instead of working against you, instead of stealing from you, that they would be able to live their lives for you. And we know that you alone can reach into their lives. We don't even know who it is or they are, but you do. And we pray that you would answer these prayers for your glory, that they would see who they've stolen from and recognize their need for a Savior, and that Jesus is the one. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning that tells us about your Son. 
And we thank you for what he's done for us. And that the stories are true. And that we can look at them and that we can learn of him so that more and more, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the ministry of your body together, we can become more and more like him in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about using these current Winter Olympic Games uh, to remind us of the diligence that God expects us to use in our lives in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. Remembering, recognizing that he has set the goal for us. It's not a gold medal from athletic endeavor and competition. Although for some people that, that's an, a, a, good, a good goal, a good temporary goal to have. It's not a position in your company or a, or a, or a status in our society. His goal for all of us is that we would become more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it most specifically uh, mentioned as he's talking about this great promise in Romans 8, 28, which we talked about a little bit last week, that promise that he works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's a, that's a difficult one for us to handle sometimes because some things we just can't see how there can be any good in it. But then he continues in verse 29 of, of Romans 8, and he says, For those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so somehow, the good and bad and, and in-between things in our lives all work together to make us more and more like his son. That's God's goal for us. That's what he wants us to be. That's what today, not just the first day of the week, not just this day of worship together, this day, like every other day, has that in mind. That today... Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have received him, who have, who have recognized that he and he alone is the Savior, that he and he alone, because he's the Son of God, because of his perfection, because he never sinned, he was able to go to the cross for us, not dying for sins that he had committed, but dying for our sins. We recognize that it was he who did that, and that he rose again from the dead after being killed on that cross. He rose again from the dead, offering to every single one of us who believe in him, 
the gift of salvation. To send his Holy Spirit, just as John the prophet, John the Baptist, as he said he was going to come and baptize us with the Holy Spirit, we would receive the Holy Spirit from him, that he would clean us, that he would change us, that he would transform us into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's working on. That's what he's doing. And so if that's our goal, and that's what we're diligently working out toward, as the athletes work out for their goal, we work out for this goal, we're going to look now for the next few months at Jesus. We're going to look at this one whose image we're being conformed into. So that we know, as the, as the, the praise team sang just a moment again, so that we can know who this Jesus is that does all these things in our lives. That we can see his character. That we can see his priorities. We can see the, the instruments that he uses to do the things that he does. And then to recognize that this is the one, not one that we've conjured up ourselves, not one that we've imagined, but the one that God presents in his word in this particular gospel by his servant Mark, a close companion and friend of the apostle Peter, also of the apostle Paul. He was a companion of of all the apostles. Probably the one that we'll read about later in the story that the night of Jesus' arrest ran off half naked because he had been kind of creeping, creeping around the outskirts of the, of the meeting that the, that the disciples were having with Jesus. And he was a, a youngster and he was following them and we saw everything that was happening. He took off running. Probably that guy, the one that the Apostle Paul took on a on one of the early mission trips and and he didn't uh, he didn't make it he didn't he didn't he didn't stick around the going got a little bit too tough but that didn't stop him he got he got over that but this gospel probably given to mark by peter this gospel this good news because remember that's what gospel means we we sometimes you know just think of it as a as a of a history book but the word gospel means good news And this presentation that that Mark is giving here is good news about Jesus Christ. And the first thing that he says about him is the Son of God. The Son of God. That's That's who we're going to be looking at as we look through this gospel, as we look through these pages. We're going to be looking at the Son of God. That's a that's a very critical thing for us to remember about Jesus. That makes him unique among all the people of the world. Although there is a sense in which all of us are the sons and daughters of God because he's the one that gives us life. He's the one that that breathed into Adam and Eve and then through them and and since them breathes his breath of life into all of us who gives us the ability to live in this world. In that sense, all of us are sons and daughters of God, but none in the unique sense that Jesus is. This, this statement that Mark makes at the outset here describing Jesus as the Son of God is a statement to say to us, pay attention to this, to this, this gospel. Pay attention to this history. This is important because the person I'm talking about, the person I'm writing to you about, the person that I'm describing here, he is unique. He is the Son of God. He's the only Son of God. 
this, this title of Jesus, this description of Jesus being the Son of God is, is the very thing that got him in so much trouble. In fact, it was the, the main reason that the Jews hated him so much. Because he continually talked about being the Son of God. If not blatantly saying that, the things that he said and the way that he taught helped them understand that that's exactly who he was describing himself as. Turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, where, uh, where we see an account of this. In John chapter 5, look what John says. John 5.18. Jesus was in trouble again. The Son of God got in trouble a lot. The one who we're supposed to be conforming into his image got in trouble a lot. Don't be surprised if as a follower of his, you get in trouble some. Because you're going to think different. You're going to act different. Your your priorities are going to be different. And you're going to talk different. Some people aren't going to like it. They didn't like it when Jesus did it. John 5, 18, after Jesus, this, this happens in verse 16, it says, so because Jesus was doing these things, healing people, on the Sabbath, on Saturday, the day of rest for the Jewish people, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So, excuse me, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's what Jesus said to those Jewish people in in working on the Sabbath, doing things that, that they didn't think were lawful on the Sabbath. Even though Jesus knew that they were lawful, he wrote the law. He understood the the absolute truth of that law and and how it was supposed to be implemented and what he was doing was lawful. But the way he explained it was just simply because his father was continuing to work, so he also was continuing to do that work. And that drove those people crazy. In fact, if you look in John 19, real quickly, as Jesus was arrested, you'll see the the Jewish defense or accusation against him. John 19, verse 7. Look what he says. Look what John says in, in his story of Jesus. Verse 7, in the trial before Pilate. Pilate answered up in, up in verse 6 and said, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. He's different. He's claiming to be different than everybody else. He is the one and only, the unique Son of God. And one of Mark's purposes in writing this is to let us know what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. 
And we're going to see that throughout this, throughout this account. And one of the first indicators of this is the way that he was announced. Now, Mark doesn't get into the details of his birth, but he gets into the details of, of the announcement, not of the angelic announcement, but of the human announcement, of the prophetic announcement of Jesus Christ. And he goes back into the Hebrew scriptures from the prophets Isaiah and, Mike, and, and Malachi. He just mentions Isaiah, and that, that wasn't an uncommon way for, for the Jews to, to, to group prophets together, mentioning the greater of the prophets than the, than the lesser. Isaiah is one of the longer prophets. He has 66 chapters in his book. Malachi's is relatively short, so he would just say, this is from Isaiah, and he makes this comment. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And then we remember this from Isaiah 40 this morning, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Centuries before his arrival, centuries before his showing up on the scene, the announcement was, was made that somebody was going to come and announce his arrival. Enter into the story, John the Baptist. The last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Doing something very unique himself in the way that he dressed, in the place that he ministered, causing the people to leave the comfort of their homes and coming out into the wilderness as a, as a symbol and a sign of the, of the dry and barren land that Israel had become because of their lack of faith in God. Announcing to them that, that as, the, as the Messiah is about to come onto the scene, we need to be ready for him. We need to repent of our sins. We need to confess our sins. We need to get right with God. Even to show and demonstrate that through this water baptism. A, a different kind of water baptism that we experience as believers in Christ. A baptism of repentance. A baptism getting them ready. Most of Israel, we know, didn't get ready. Although many people did come down. So many that, that Mark uses the, the, the statement, everybody came down. Lots and lots came down. Except for the leaders of the Jews and those who were most concerned about keeping their status with those people. Most of the common people came down. And they came down to see what was going on. This, this guy dressed in a unique way, very reminiscent of the, of the attire of Elijah the prophet, the, the famous prophet from the Old Testament, fit right in with him. An, an odd, obscure man giving a, an odd and, and, and obscure message, practicing this baptism of, of repentance, telling the people to, to turn away from their sins, to get ready because the Messiah, the one who was promised to come and restore Israel to its greatness, to get rid of all of its enemies, and to bring it back into the, the, the power and glory that it deserved, that it once had, that was, he said that was about to happen as the, as the Messiah was to come. Now we know now that when Jesus came on the scene, he was coming not to restore the kingdom literally to Israel, that that, would, that that would come later after his next coming, but to get, the, to get people ready for that next coming, that's what he was coming to do. And, and John was sent, as Isaiah the prophet said, and as, as Malachi the prophet said, John was sent to get them ready. This is a unique 
individual that's coming, that this gospel is about. That God would prophesy, that God would give these prophets the knowledge of this coming centuries before it's coming. That makes it stand out. Pay attention to this, Mark is saying. This is, a, this is a unique story. This isn't just an everyday story. This is something unique that God has done in sending his son into the world. Pay attention to it. And then John is a great example for us of one who proclaims the truth of Jesus to his contemporaries, to, to the people around him. Here John did that work and he makes this statement about Jesus. After me, will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's a, that's a great statement of humility. That's a great statement of the, of the glory of, of the Son of God, Jesus. This one who has, is God himself in the flesh. John says, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy, not only to... To, to wash his feet, I'm not even worthy to take his sandals off in preparation for the washing. Because that was the analogy, that was the, the picture that he was painting when he was talking about untying sandals. Why would he untie his sandals anyway? Well, because that was a practice of a servant, to untie the sandals of someone and then wash their feet. John says, I not only couldn't wash his feet, I can't even take his sandals off his feet. That's how great he is. And the work that I'm doing while, while it's important work, it's nothing compared to the work that he's going to do. And then he describes that work in this way. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What a role the Son of God have, has. He had it then, he has it now. To baptize those who believe in him, not with the water, not with the baptism of repentance, but with the Holy Spirit of God. God himself coming into the lives of every single person who believes. That's the work that Jesus came to establish. That this one that we're going to be reading about, that we're going to be thinking about, that we're going to be grappling with, trying to understand, as we endeavor together to conform our lives to his image, again, not alone, not, not even just with each other, but by the great work of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because every single one of us who has believed, from this time as it's being announced to today, every single one of us who believe have been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God, by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what he came to do. That's what Mark said he came to do. And those of us who now get to read this gospel recognize that he has done that work in our lives. The work that only the unique son of God could do. The the work that only God himself in the flesh could do for us. Look what Titus says. Turn turn back in your Bibles toward the end of your New Testament to to the book of Titus. And look at the description that Titus gives or that, Jesus, or that Paul gives to Titus as he's describing this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus um, does for those of us who believe. Look what he says. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. First, he gives a great description of us in our need for a Savior. 
And if you haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ yet, this is a description of your life. Here Paul says to Titus in chapter 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's what John the Baptist was talking about. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, son of God came to do in this world. And he's been doing that from the first century when he first came. John described it. Remember he said, hey, most people didn't receive him. Most people didn't accept him. But to those who received him, To those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we become children of God by the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus pours out into our lives the moment we put our trust in him. And so this is a very personal story that Mark is sharing with the world. A very personal story because every single person who reads this story and believes is made a child of God by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mark knew that. That's why he wanted wanted people to pay attention. That's why he started this, this story off with such a bang. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Understand that. Recognize this is an important account. This is something to pay attention to. Because when you know him, when you believe in him, when you receive him, Something great is going to happen in your life. And you need something great to happen in your life. As a a person living in rebellion against God, as the children of Israel were during the days when, when John the Baptist came, as we were before we put our trust in Christ, he said, we need we were living as people who needed a Savior. And He is that Savior. He can make that change in our lives. Not just, the, not just the practical things like, like the, the praise team we're, we're talking about this morning, but the serious internal changes that need to be made. When he baptizes us with his Holy Spirit, he cleans us like we cannot clean ourselves. Not with, a, not with an outward washing and not with a, a, just a decision, you know what, I'm going to clean up my act. I've been doing this wrong, I've been doing that wrong, I've been thinking this wrong. No, I've been acting mean or, or ugly or I've been stealing, been hurting people. I'm going to clean up my act, I'm going to change. Well, we can make some progress in decisions like that, but what he does for us when he baptizes us with his Holy Spirit, he changes us from the inside out. He gives us a new nature, as he describes there in Titus 3. And he puts into us righteousness that we did not possess before the Holy Spirit came into our lives. 
He makes us the righteousness of God. He gives us right standing before God by making us the children of God, by making us his righteousness. And so as we read this, the rest of this account that starts out with this great witness, this great proclamation by, the, by John the Baptist, we recognize that this is a very personal story because we're going to be encountering the person who made these changes in our lives, who, came, who sent the Holy Spirit to come and live in us so that we could then live our lives like he does for his glory and for eternity. Because what he did, he did forever. And so as we start this study, let's get ready. Let's remember that we're doing it for a purpose, not just to gather information, but to find out who this is that has called us to become more and more like him in our lives and who has given us the power by the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do just that, to be conformed to the image of his son. And as we start this study, this may be the day that some of you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. You need to recognize him as the son of God that he is, as the savior that he is, as the only one who can do the things that you need to have done for you so that you can be forgiven of your sins and have this promise, this hope of eternal life. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your faithful servants, Mark and John the Baptist. These two men that have already ministered to us, even though it's thousands of years after their earthly ministry, we thank you that like Abel, described in Hebrews chapter 11, Even though he's dead, still he speaks. We thank you that Mark and the prophet John the Baptist still speak today. And we thank you that what they spoke of was no one less than your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for providing your son for us. as the substitute who took our place on the cross, who took our sins upon him because he had no sins of his own to die for, and who not only did that for us, but also rose again victorious so that he could literally baptize us with your Holy Spirit so that we could follow him, so that we could live our lives becoming more and more like him every day and in doing so, becoming more and more fruitful for eternity, living our lives in in ways that will make a difference not only for ourselves but also for others and their eternal life. As we, like Mark and the prophet John, let people know about him that they can also be forgiven of their sins, so they can also receive this gift of eternal life from you through the witness that you give us. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to study this gospel. 
We thank you for those who have worked hard over the years to translate it, to preserve it, to protect it, to interpret it, so that we today have this privilege of looking into it and seeing our very lives changed by this great story of the true life of our Savior Jesus. We pray for those who are still just thinking about what they want to do about Jesus. We pray that you'd help them recognize the urgency of that decision. Remembering that none of us are promised tomorrow, that you know the the days and hours of our lives. And we know, Father, that your word tells us that after this life is over, that then we would face judgment. And we'll either, as we sang earlier this morning, we'll either have the plea of Jesus Christ, our Savior, or we will stand on our own righteousness and there be judged for that, for our sins, and be separated from you forever. Help those who are waiting, help those who are wondering, help those who are trying to make their mind up, help them to realize the urgency of this hour, of this decision, and help them by the power of your Holy Spirit to put their trust in Jesus, baptizing them when they believe in you as you've baptized those of us who believe, cleaning, forgiving, and empowering so they can live life for your glory. Father, that's our desire. We ask that you would do it by your power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.